I embrace the ambiguity and uncertainty. So I went on this journey with just literally a faded photograph, very little information. We knew the name of the village, the town it was near, and the district. But there was a lot of noise saying you can't find it, you won't find it. But the way that I would describe it is I went to India, a foreigner going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me in search of a needle in a haystack and not sure where the haystack was. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Sam Thiara. Sam is a lecturer at the BD School of Business at Simon Fraser University in British Columbia, Canada. In addition to that, Sam has mentored hundreds and engaged thousands of students and professionals over the years with Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting, as he has these individuals work towards whatever it is they feel destined to do in life. Sam is also the author of books such as Personal Storytelling, Discovering the Extraordinary in the Ordinary, and Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, where Sam travels to India and documents his experience searching for his grandfather's village, armed with little more than a faded photograph to guide him. Our conversation ranges from some of Sam's influences to meaningful interactions and moments he's had over the years. Sam is truly a storyteller, with each story having some powerful life lessons within them. With that in mind, just sit back, relax, and get ready for Sam Thiara's journey with Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting. All right, so welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. And first of all, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down and chat with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I look forward to sharing with your audience and hopefully being able to share some insights. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I'm so excited to get into some of these stories. So I was doing some research on you to prepare for this interview, and I came to learn pretty quickly that there are so many different directions this interview can go based on everything that you do. So in short, I feel like you can best be summed up as a speaker, storyteller, author of books such as Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, and Personal Storytelling, Discovering the Extraordinary and the Ordinary, and you're a coach, mentor, entrepreneur and educator at Simon Fraser University in Vancouver. Man, I feel like I need to <laughs> take a breath after all that. But I mean, and, and on top of all that, you also have a strong dedication to community development. So I think it's safe to stay, say you stay pretty busy. But uh, <laughs> since, since a bulk of the listeners of the show are in their early to late 20s, I want to take, take you back to that time period for a minute because I think the story behind your post-college years is, a very, is very relatable to a lot of people. So you graduated from Simon Fraser University in British Columbia with a degree in business and political science. What happened directly after you got that degree? Uh, it was a journey. And the reason I say that is the comfort of that university environment was there. And I remember sitting at the graduation ceremony saying, OK, it's done. And what am I going to do now? So I walked across the stage, shook the hands of the dignitaries. And as I walked off the stage, it it felt like a giant virtual door just slammed behind me. And there was no handle because everything familiar was behind that door. I went and sat down. And then I told myself, okay, I guess that's it. And I said, okay, I guess I'm going to have to start looking for a job. And I thought to myself, okay, with a degree in business and political science, like that's a great combination. I mean, who's going to be lucky to get me? So I started applying for jobs. And back then, it wasn't the internet or you know any sort of tools. You actually had to handwrite or type your letter, hand deliver it or mail it. And I remember sending it off to about 12 different companies. And I sat back going, okay, which one's gonna be lucky? After two weeks, a letter arrived. And I opened it up and it was from one of the companies. And it basically said, we don't have a job for you, but we're not sure what you're looking for. Good luck. And I thought, well, that's okay. You're not gonna be lucky, but someone else is. And I've got 11 letters out there, but you know what? I'm going to send three more out. Well, I started, I sent out three more and it just over a period of time felt like the tide. The more letters I sent out, the more letters came back in. 
And the conversation of who's lucky to get me shifted to, am I lucky to get a job? I don't know why I did this, but I kept all my letters. And I have a stack of letters about the size of a brick, weighs about the size of a brick, uh, uh, the same amount. And every 86 rejection letters of people who said, don't know who you are, don't have a job for you, good luck. Well, I finally did get a job though. And my first job was an entry-level government job, business political science, it makes total sense. Well, my first job was actually mopping floors and emptying rubbish bins as a janitor. And the realization hit me that I was not ready here. But when I went into that job, I made sure that I never looked at it as poor me, I made a huge mistake or any of those things. Instead, I said, okay, this is what's been gifted to me. And I looked at it as this is what's been gifted to me. I have to make the most of this. And what I did was I actually pulled three valuable life lessons that actually still carries me to who I am today. The first lesson was my father said, I don't care what you do. You make sure you do the best job possible in anything you do because your reputation's on the line. So there is no floor cleaner than at the end of my shift and no rubbish bin left full. The second valuable lesson. There were times I would get on the elevator with nurses, doctors, and administrators, and I was just totally ignored because I'm a janitor and these are professionals. I know what this feels like. I will never ignore anybody. I will talk to everybody because everybody has a story. And the third valuable lesson, instead of going into this position as, you know, I have a degree on my wall and people saying, oh, you didn't need a degree to do this job and I can't believe this is where you started. I looked at it as, where's the opportunity here? And I found opportunity as in everything that we do in life we can pull life lessons and there's learning to be had. Those three lessons still carries me to who I am today. And I reflect on those letters today. And I realize if one of those letters would have materialized, I wouldn't be with you here today because my life would have gone in a different trajectory. And many of those companies that rejected me no longer exist. I still do. We are resilient individuals and we will outlast them. And I think the really important thing that I want to share with your audience is this understanding and idea that I think we are focused on what as opposed to who. I think that when you start, when you're focused on what you're doing, it really doesn't answer the full question. And really what we need to do is focus on who we are. By understanding who we are, we can then realize what we are going to do. And that's the lessons that I share with people today. It's been about 5,000 conversations to help them realize who they are versus what they're going to do. So that's the journey that really started out for me. And it's, it's had its bumps, but it brings me to one of my favorite quotes Obstacles are the necessary bricks on a road to success. I needed the, the obstacle in order to realize the direction I needed to go. Without that obstacle, it wouldn't have really guided me to where I am today. So I'd like to share that today. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so, much, so many good pieces in that story for sure. And I identified honestly with so much of that because I had a very similar experience after graduating college. I, you know, I, I got my degree and I was like, okay, I need to look for a job. You know, who's, who's lucky to have me type thing and right. started applying at all of these different places. And I ended up getting a job selling insurance right out of college. And I was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, my career and everything. This is, I'm an adult now and everything. Yeah. And I jumped into it and I just realized it just wasn't the best fit for me. I mean, it's 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 a great profession for anyone who si finds satisfaction in it, but for me, it it wasn't anything I really found satisfaction in. And so I had to do a lot of soul searching after that, and I started hopping around to to different jobs and I definitely had to humble myself a little bit too because, you know, I had to go actually make burritos for people for <laughs> for a little bit at a at a chain restaurant and everything. 
you know, with my degree, just uh, in those yeah. in-between times while I'm looking for something, which, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with that. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's you know, the, like you said, there's a life lesson to learn in everything that you do. And actually, speaking of burritos, because that's a better, <laughs> as good of a segue as I'm ever going to get. <laughs> um, right. I was listening to an interview you did on the Strong Stoic podcast, and on there you shared an interesting story revolving around an experience that you had at a Chipotle while you interacted with one of, the, <laughs> one of those workers. Would you mind sharing that experience real quick? Because I love that story. Yeah, no, it, it t- totally. And, and it just goes, you never know where these small moments emerge from, and you have to be open to it. And all too often, I think, our life is revolving around transactions, not transformation. And people think trans- transformation has to be epic. No, transformation is actually even the small things in life. And I, I recall a few years back, I had about 20 of my students and we were we were in Toronto and at an, at an event. And it was late. It was about 10 o'clock at night and everybody was hungry. And, you know, we walked into a Chipotle's and that was the first one in there probably because I was the hungriest too, but uh, we walked in and I remember the lady standing across from me uh, at the counter was, you know, saying, looked at me and said, what would you like? And she points the menu and in front of her and I said, hmm. And I looked at her name tag and I I believe it was Mary. And I said, "Um, Mary, how long have you worked here? She said about three years. I said, you know what, Mary, I eat everything. Why don't you make me what Mary would eat? And she looked at me and she was like, you serious? And I was like, yeah, what would Mary eat? And then she pulls out this tortilla shell and she looks at me and she goes, would you like black beans or brown? I said, no, no, Mary, which ones would Mary eat? And she goes, well, black. And I said, okay, give me the black beans and don't ask me again, or I'm coming around the counter and I'll make my own. And she started (laughs) smiling and she's laughing. And, you know, even her uh, colleague is like, listening in but my students are too and as we're going along you know she's starting to build this burrito and she's got this smile on her face and she yells to the cashier I'm gonna comp this guy's guacamole because that's what I put in mine and I'm gonna give it to him as well and then now the manager's standing there too and he's smiling and Mary made this burrito so big she couldn't close it and, all, you know, she's trying to close it and it doesn't close. And then her cashier says, here, let me try. And then the manager says, here, let me try. And I just turned to Mary. I said, Mary, you know what? Put it into one of those sort of kind of dish things. Give me a fork and let's go with open face. And thank you so much. And I just remember, you know, just the smile on her face. And she said, thank you. That was so much fun. And I was like, that's all it takes sometimes. I mean, how many times have we you know, gone to a Starbucks or, you know, a Chipotle's and the person standing there says, how are you? And you're fine. How are you? Good. And then it's almost like very mechanical and methodical. And then you order what you want and you move along. And, you know, that's all it is. It's just, it doesn't take much to have a moment that just changes the environment from the ordinary to what I call the extraordinary, which was what my first TEDx speech was about. But embedded in the ordinary are these tremendously extraordinary experiences, but they don't have to be epic. Yeah. No, I, I love that story so much mm-hmm. because um, I actually do something very similar whenever I, I go out to places like Starbucks or Chipotle mm-hmm. or what have you. I mean, I've noticed you, you get a much better response from the employees when mm-hmm. you you know ask them how their day is going, when you address them by name, or you just... I, I've even had instances like that to where I was being really indecisive at a Starbucks and mm-hmm. I just asked the barista and I said, well, what is it that you like to get? And they just perk yeah. right up and say, oh, well, I usually get this. And nine out of 10 times, it sounds good. And I'm like, well, you're the expert. That sounds good to me. I'll go with that. <laughs> well, also, Eric, think of it this way. You do this at Chipotle's, you're going to get a bigger burrito. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you got your uh, your guacamole comp in this scenario. So uh, oh, I think man, you're onto yeah. something there. <laughs> totally. And I, I, but I even do this at restaurants. Like I'm looking at the menu, and somebody comes. You know, the 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 host comes up, and they ask, "Okay, what, any questions?" I said, "Yeah, what's really good on this menu? Like, what do you like?" And then they say, "Well, I mean," it, and I've even had people say, uh, "Okay, I'll tell you what. Like, if you're having a glass of wine," and I say, "Okay, I'm seeing the wine list." what about you? Which one do you really like? And they're like, actually, it's not even on the menu, but if you want it, I'll pour you a glass. And I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. And then they come back and they say, so what was it like? And I said, actually, you know, it was really good. Or, you know, it was not something I would have ordered, but, you know, I'm glad you shared that with me. And it's interesting how that connection and relationship starts to emerge just 
as an igniter to something as simple as that. No, it's it's no, seriously, it's so true. I just having those little moments of connections with people is, is so powerful. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you never know where it can lead to, honestly, um, just so simple interactions that go beyond just a, hey, how's your day going? Or how are you? Or, you know, yeah. uh, just a tall black coffee for me, you know, <laughs> I know something like that. But Eric, one thing you mentioned, which I just would like to bring back is when you mentioned about, uh, you know, the roles and responsibilities that you had, and it it didn't feel right. It didn't fit right. Mm-hmm. And I've had those in, you know, in the early stages of my career. And the best way for me to describe it, and I'm a, I'm a very visual person as well as analogies and symbolism. And the way I describe it, and I think you'll relate to this, is I always found that, you know, in, a, in the corporate setting, many people are wearing what I call a 52 short suit. In other words, you know, you're wearing a 52 short suit. I'm wearing a 52 short suit. I'm a 42 regular. So the sleeves won't <laughs> fit. The, the trousers won't, uh, will be too short. And the, you know, the waistcoat or the, the thing is just too big. But it's like a career. You can do the job, but it really doesn't fit. And it's only when I sit down with people and we start talking that we start fashioning what I call a tailor-made suit. In other words, a tailored career and you can just see how the transformation happens from something that's oversized and doesn't fit as a career suddenly shifts and changes when you try to build something that's more tailored. But I just wanted to add that to what you had said earlier. Yeah, no, I I really love that analogy. Um, mm-hmm. No, I, I think there's a lot of truth in that, definitely, to where it's almost like you're you're going through the motions, but yeah. it's but you don't feel 100 percent fulfilled in it. You feel like there's there's something different you should be doing or there's something more to it or. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah. That's, no, that's a that's a great analogy. I love that. But um, now fast forward to today, I see that you're the founder of Ignite the Dream Coaching and Consulting, which helps mostly those who are in high school, post-secondary or are recent graduates or early in their career. Mm-hmm. Would you say it was your own personal experience that inspired you to start this venture or were there other factors that contributed to it? Oh, I think it's more of it's always been the fact that I never wanted people to go through what I went through. I don't mm-hmm. want them to to fear the obstacles or the fact that you're not going to encounter obstacles if I help you. No, no, you still will. But can I accelerate your growth versus what happened to me? I mean, I think when I was 35, that's when the clarity hit. And now what I do is I I work with people who are either at the, mainly at the university and recent grads to mid-level, like I'd say, you know, 15 to 40 year olds is is the category that I, I do about three to eight conversations a week about life and career. And, you know, in that in that area, what I found is that if I can share, I try to accelerate their journey, but I tell them, but you still are going to be rejected. You're still going to. But let's build the resilience in. let's build in who you are so you're better prepared to move forward because none of this was there when I was there. And what's interesting is back when I graduated many, many years ago, there really wasn't a lot set up. And I, I, as I move forward, I thought, you know what? Okay, it's got to be better right now. It's not. It's the same thing. It's like people are lost. People are confused. So having these conversations with them, all of a sudden, they're just like, this is clarity. Like you're providing me substance that... I haven't been able to find in other places. So it's one of those that I've said, I've been given a lot of these experiences and they've been positive, they've been challenging, but I've been given so much. And the reason I've been given so much is I'm not supposed to hold on to them. I'm supposed to give it out. I'm supposed to share this with other people. And by sharing, even more comes in. And then I share even more. But that's the that's the mentality I have. And that's the... The journey that I'm on is just my life is all about sharing. Yeah, definitely. No, I I love that approach. And what I find so great about the approach that you do, like what you mentioned before, is from what I'm gathering, you don't sit down with these individuals and tell them what they have to be doing or how they should be living your life. But rather you share stories with them, you ask critical questions and help that individual discover their own path, which I I think is really important. So I I love the fact that you you take that approach. Well, I'm, I'm what you call a, a difficult monk. I mean, <laughs> people come to me, as you said, seeking the answers to life. Like they want to know 
what career I've had people even ask me, Sam, what, uh, what business should I start? I'm like, man, if I knew what business to start, wouldn't I be doing that right now? (laughs) And it's one of those things of, you know, they, they see me when, when people say, Oh, you got, when people say you got to go and see Sam or, you know, go talk to Sam and they come to me. Oftentimes people are coming to me with this whole idea of, they see me as this orange saffron bearded man on top of a mountain. And I call myself the difficult monk because what I'm going to do is only ask questions. The monk you seek actually lies within you and so do the answers. And all I do is ask questions to pull the answers out of you. You know, if you think of it, there are way too many people, enough people out there telling you what to do. My role and responsibility is to ask questions. And as you unlock these key components of your life, then we can then start visioning and figuring out where this journey is going to lead you. But yeah, I don't tell people. And that's where um, I often say activating the voice within is really important because you want to silence the noise that's around you. And there's a lot of noise around you. So how do we activate that voice within so you can move forward in the authentic pathway that you have to go? No, I love that because I don't think there's necessarily, you know, one way to live life. I think everyone just kind of has to discover their own purpose and their own path on their own. And it's so much more powerful when those moments happen. And I think having that spark and asking those critical questions really gets people down that path. So I no, I, I love that approach so much. Mm-hmm. And I now I imagine the, the pandemic threw a curve into your plans like it did for a lot of people. So uh, how were some of the ways that, that you adjusted? Did you primarily do virtual meetups with people or mm-hmm. how did you, I guess, adapt to the world of COVID? Yeah. And actually, it, to me, it wasn't that difficult. And part of it, uh, and I'll share this with, with you as well, is, you know, even when they told us today, you guys are going to go teach virtually at university. So we had we were in class, in class, and then, you know, all of a sudden they said, okay, starting Monday, everybody's going to be teaching virtually. And it wasn't that difficult for me to suddenly shift to a virtual platform. And part of the reason I would share that is I came up with an acronym. And the acronym is, there is a need for us to care. This is when we got into COVID. This is where we are today. And this is how we're going to emerge. And what CARE does is it applies to individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions, nonprofits, government. Everybody's been impacted by this. What CARE stands for is collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Collaboration. We all have something to contribute. Look at what you hold and what other people hold. How can you support other people as they support you? We need to have more of a collaborative mindset. Adaptability. A lot of people fear change. Now, adaptability for me was simple because for me, I thrive in ambiguity and uncertainty. I actually think that's where magic happens. And I never fear it. I embrace it. So when this happened... I became very adaptable. I'm like, okay, so I can't teach in the classroom. I'm going to switch to this online platform and, you know, felt around and got comfortable with it and now very comfortable with it. But anything I do, it's all about adaptability. Resilience is understanding that this is not over today, tomorrow, next week, next month. This is a marathon. When you build resilience in, it allows you to keep on going because you're not just waiting for things and the environment to change, you're adapting to that environment and building that resilience in. And the last part is empathy. Such a need for us to show care and compassion to each other because you don't know what people are going through. So don't make assessments and judgments. Be empathetic and try to understand how people are feeling. And I really do believe that care is what we need. Collaboration, adaptability, resilience, and empathy. Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of truth in what you're saying there. And I, I love the marathon analogy. I mean, I'm a marathon runner myself, so uh, <laughs> I would very much agree. It's um, it's all about just kind of just kind of pacing yourself and just kind of getting a, a feel for things. And and the fact that so much can change over that long course of a of a race. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I love that analogy. And 
clearly between the teaching that you do at the university and what you do with Ignite the Dream Coaching, you touch a lot of lives. Mm -hmm. So do you have any people or books that you can point to that are a major source of inspiration for yourself? Yeah, there are a couple. I mean, for me, one of the books I really appreciated and, and enjoyed was The Storyteller's Secret by Gallo. And for me, the, what that book did was it just reinforced that the things that I'm doing are are what I should be doing. And the other book I thought which was enjoyable was The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And finally, uh, a dear friend of mine, he wrote this book called Every Conversation Counts, and it's all about the art of conversation. So those three books I've I've really enjoyed and, you know, I would say that those ones are important ones that people should maybe gravitate towards. If you are looking to, you know, build your story or how do you get into a conversation, you know, how do, those books will help you. And as well as the dysfunctions uh, to overcome those dysfunctional teams, it provides you some of the tools and mechanisms. The other one, which I forgot to mention, was uh, Jim Collins' Good to Great. In other words, how do you move from being just which is good, which is fine, but becoming great. And, you know, whether it's a company, individual or team, there's magic in what he writes as well. And I enjoyed that book as well. So Good to Great by Jim Collins as well. Yeah, very solid list. I will be adding all of mm -hmm. these to my uh, Goodreads list. But mm -hmm. um, I, I'm glad you mentioned Good to Great as well because my brother Joel uh, read that mm -hmm. a little while ago and just raves about that book. He he yeah. typically reads a lot of uh, books in a similar realm of that. I'm kind of all over the place with, with what I read. But uh, yeah. Yeah, it'll range from you know um, self-help to astrophysics. To, I read a book on forecasting once. Just I don't, right. I don't know. I always love to learn new things. I think that's what it boils yeah. down to. <laughs> Well, and, and when you talk about what books have I read, it's more like now it's more like what books am I writing? Uh, I, I found that. And years ago, I was never seven years ago. I wasn't even a writer and it just sparked in me. And now that's what I do is part of it is this writing piece. And I, I really appreciate and enjoy the aspect of writing. Yeah, no, I, I love that so much, too. And that's actually what I was doing before this became a podcast. And I, I mean, I still do primarily do a lot of writing. I mean, just, you know, writing my punchins, my notes, doing research, mm -hmm. writing, you know, notes for the other podcasts that I co-host on Films for the Void. And but this was primarily a blog beforehand where I would kind of recount some of my traveling experiences and things like that. Actually, uh, something I always like to ask my guests as well, between the writing, coaching, being an educator, and some of the all, some of the other aspects I mentioned earlier that you're involved in, do you have any daily rituals or tips for effectively managing your time to tackle all those different endeavors? Like, do you block out time out of the day for certain activities? Or I guess, how do you manage your time? Yeah, I mean, I do have a routine, and my routine is to not have a routine. <laughs> so. All right. Yeah. No, actually, what I do is I look at my, my week and I say, okay, what are my priorities? And I know that, for example, tomorrow I have to teach my class. So today I was just polishing off and finishing up that lecture for tomorrow. And I really sort of work from that standpoint of priorities and know what are the things I need to get accomplished and things that are happening. So either I've got a list or I know what my schedule dictates and shows. But the benefit is, you know, technically... And the key word is technically, I work two days a week, Tuesdays and Thursdays, but I really don't. It's seven days a week. <laughs> but those are the days I'm committed. But everything that I embrace and everything I do in my life just resonates and makes sense. So it doesn't feel like work in the first place, except when I mark midterms. That definitely feels like a grind. But uh, <laughs> when, but and it's like I did it myself. Like, why did I even give them the midterm? Because now I have to mark it, you know. <laughs> right. And but equally at the same time, I mean, for me, it's more of making the list, prioritizing to make sure I'm not missing some key things that need to be done. When, and there are times where you know, all of a sudden, you're just like, okay, I have to get this done, and then that means you're going to stay up till midnight, one or two. But I actually really like what I'm doing. So it doesn't even feel like, okay, it's a task. It, you know, it could be working on a nonprofit plan to make them sustainable. So you build it and you're working on it. And my father's even said this. He said, one thing I've noticed about you is until you finish a component or part, like there are people who will, 
you know, at a spe- specific time will basically say, oh, I got to I got to go. It's my break time or lunch time. And they leave exactly where they are. Whereas with me, if I'm doing woodworking or writing until I finish a component of it that I think I'm satisfied with, I'll then get up and go. And even fortunately, my wife knows this, that if she's made dinner, it could go cold if I'm working on something and then I'll just reheat it myself later on because I just can't walk away from something at a moment's notice because I need to have a sense of completion. Yeah. No, I honestly identified with so much of that because Mm -hmm. I, I operate in a very similar manner. I mean, I, I work on priorities hardcore as well. I work until the task is complete. I could be, you know, sitting at my desk shaking from just the coffee I've been drinking, you know, but I, I need to finish my task before I break away to actually eat some food or something. But yeah. was, it was, it maybe might borderline on the, on the unhealthy side of me sometimes, but, <laughs> but, um, yeah. but no, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I stay up, you know, late to get whatever work I need to get done. And yeah. yeah and to your point, I mean, a lot of it does not really feel like work to me because I genuinely have fun doing it like this podcast. And then, mm-hmm. you know, like the movie podcasts I, I mentioned previously, I mean, my, yeah. part of my work entails just watching movies. I mean, so that's, you know, right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, obviously I got to interpret it and write notes and do research on it, but I mean, you know, yeah. I enjoy, always enjoy watching movies. So that part doesn't bother me. <laughs> well, and, and I think that clarity emerged for me. And for me, it was the moment I stopped asking you know, what I'm going to do to who I am, everything in my life suddenly changed. And I mean, I'm happy to share how that happened and what I share with people to help them in that journey about from what to who, if you'd like. Oh, yeah, go for it. So I was in a standard corporate job doing the Monday to Friday, nine to five. And again, it felt like that 52 short suit. And I started focusing on, you know, there's this just doesn't fit. But what do I want to do? And I said, what do I want to do? And all of a sudden, I started thinking about, well, I better start doing some internal things because none of this has worked in the past and, you know, gravitating from one job to another to another. And when I started focusing on what mattered to me, clarity started to emerge because I started saying, okay, and I came up with five things that I was not willing to compromise in life and career, not just career, but life and career. And when I looked at those five things, the present job I was in hit zero out of five. <laughs> and it allowed me to then say, okay, now that I know that these five things are really important in my life, what is that other part? What Then where should I be heading towards? And all of a sudden, this corporate job shifted to this community relations road safety job. And oh my gosh, I thoroughly love this job when I when I had that years ago. Hmm. But the way that you uh, you come up with the I call it the five core elements exercise. And what I say is to anybody, what are the five things that guide and direct you in life that you are not willing to compromise? Now, to be fair, many people haven't even really thought about what are the five things you're not willing to compromise. So we sit down and we start talking and I say, okay, the, the job you're doing right now or jobs you've had in the past, tell me what you like about it or don't like about it, but also answer why. What about any classes you've taken? What did you take and what did you like about it and why? What did you not like about those classes? Why? What do you like to do on your spare time? Why? And slowly we start sifting because of that why piece and people are fearful because they think okay you're making me pick five words that it's tough what if I don't pick the right words well as you go through life you're going to change these words as you change jobs or as you have these experiences you're going to change so what happens though is you start finding these things and it that's where it really helps to have someone who's very I guess, questioning them because I'll ask, okay, one thing that you're not willing to compromise. And oftentimes people would be like family, family is really important to me. And I said, okay, why is family important? And then they say, well, it's the connectedness I have or the relationships I have with people that are in my circle that are my family. And it matters to me. And I said, okay, now that they've answered why I said, okay, does that also apply in your work environment? And they're like, oh, absolutely. Does this also apply in your 
school when you were there? Oh, for sure. Does this also apply in, you know, the social things that you do? And they're like, yeah, it does. Really, it does. And I said, okay, so maybe we remove family and can we replace it with relationships and connectedness because it's a bit more broader. And they're like, oh, I get it. So in anything that you do, there has to be a component of relationships and connectedness. I also tell people, have fun with it. I mean, I was working with somebody in Los Angeles and we were talking and she's describing to me, you know, one thing she's not willing to compromise is her commitment to the environment and how, you know, she wants to be active and doesn't want to be a bystander in life. And I just blurted out, oh, so you're an environmental ninja. And she stopped and she just said, oh man, I love that. Can I use it? And I said, yeah, that's yours. Take it. And so she's an environmental ninja is one of her key things. But could you imagine... How great it is when, you know, somebody says, well, you know, Eric, tell me about you. And then Eric starts rolling off a resume type of thing of everything he does. When someone says, Sam, tell me who you are. I always describe it this way. I'm an individual who is guided by five core elements, servant leadership, story sharing, activator igniter, champion enabler, and community do-gooder. Those five things have enabled me to help individuals, teams, organizations, educational institutions, and nonprofits to their pinnacle best. But they've also helped me to become a speaker, storyteller, mentor and a coach, writer, author, blogger, educator, entrepreneur, problem solver, and community activator. Now that's a much more compelling statement, but it also helps me to realize that those things guide me to the direction I need to go. So I've got about 12 projects I'm working on right now, but all 12, it's not that they are totally separate from each other. They layer into each other, but they are distinct. But I'm able to actually manage all 12 because they hit five out of five. Yeah, no, there so many good elements there. And I think uh, one of the biggest takeaways I had from that is that, you know, even though it's such a simple question of just, of just asking why, it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I feel mm-hmm. like, that's something we lose as we get older. I feel, you know, I feel like as a kid, you know, you're, you're always curious, you're always asking mm-hmm. why, but then I feel like as adults, you kind of grow out of that, which is kind of sad because I, I feel like that's, that's what kind of propels you to think more critically, ask to really ask why, and to take a hard look at things and see, mm-hmm. you know, if you're happy doing what you're doing, if you're, if you're where you want to be, if, and what you need to do to get to that next step, if you're not where you want to be. So no, I, I love so much of that. And, and actually, if I may, in my second TEDx, one thing I said was there's a narrative that we've, many of us, if not all of us have lived and, and in preschool or kindergarten, the question was always asked, what are you going to be when you grow up? And we picked these honorable jobs of astronaut, doctor, teacher, firefighter. And then slowly practicality set in and what happened to those dreams of what we wanted to become and practicality set in and now you're either lost or you're picking something that doesn't really fit and it's now you're in a 52 short suit (laughs) no exactly actually speaking of that i remember as a kid i wanted to be a paleontologist (laughs) (laughs) i think i i grew up uh so i'm revealing my age here but i grew uh was born in 1991 and when i was growing up jurassic park was huge so i think (laughs) that's primarily why but Mm -hmm. at the same time i mean you know, I still like dinosaurs and stuff. I still think it'd yeah. be a, a cool job. But yeah, I remember that was one of my first dream jobs as a kid. But uh, no, that's, right. that's that's funny. But yeah. anyway, now I love traveling whenever I get the opportunity. I know you have some really interesting stories surrounding traveling as well. Yeah. So yeah. in your book, Lost and Found, Seeking the Past and Finding Myself, you recount your experience of traveling to India with not much packed other than a faded photograph in search for your grandfather's village and overall ancestral roots. So can you talk yeah. briefly about that entire experience and what inspired you to take that trip to begin with? Yeah, I mean, growing up in uh, Vancouver, so I'm a British-born Canadian with parents from Fiji and grandparents from India. Well, <laughs> people would often say, what part of India are you from? And I look at them and I say, well, I was born in England and raised in Canada. And they're like, no, 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 your parents, what part of India? And I'm like, well, my parents come from Fiji Islands, which is near Australia. And they're like, wait, are you Indian? And I'm like, well, my grandfather's and my ancestors come from India. And in the same breath, then they're like, well, you're not Indian, you're Canadian. I mean, and whatever that might mean. So (laughs) growing up, I struggled with this identity piece because, you know, I was always segmented into those four sections. But equally at the same time, the 
Indian cultural identity just never really was a component. And it wasn't because we wanted to be Canadian or our parents said, no, to be in this country, you must, you know, leave that to be something else. It just never happened. I mean, especially, I mean, in my school, there was about five, 600 students, but only seven visible minorities. So, you know, you grow up in that environment. Well, so there was that part. And I think the realization was that it wasn't that I rejected it, but equally at the same time, I never embraced it. And it was only when I got to university and a much more global audience, did I suddenly start questioning that Indian identity piece, which seemed to be missing and lacking. Well, nobody knew where our village was in India. My grandfather left when he was like 17 or 18, probably early 1900s. Uh, the boat that he was on landed in Fiji and that's where he was on his way to Argentina, but the boat landed in Fiji and he got off the boat there. And that's where my parents were. Like my father was born there and my, then my mom married him there. And then they immigrated to England, which is where I was born. And then when I was four years old, we moved to Canada. But it was one of those things of, but nobody really wanted to find out or seek out our ancestral roots. But all I had, then I said, okay, this is something that I need to do. And part of it, as I said earlier, I embrace the ambiguity and uncertainty. So I went on this journey with just literally a faded photograph, very little information. We knew the name of the village, the town it was near, and the district. But there was a lot of noise saying you can't find it, you won't find it. But the way that I would describe it is I went to India, a foreigner, going to a land that shouldn't be foreign to me in search of a needle in a haystack and not sure where the haystack was. But going to India was an eye-opening experience because it really helped me to understand the country. I mean, I got to see magnificence. I got to see poverty and injustice. And it made me realize that I'm a traveler, not a tourist. And there's nothing wrong with being a tourist, but a tourist just wants to see, but not experience. But it made me realize that in all the travels I've ever done in my life, I've been a traveler. I wanted to experience it. So I was able to capture my identity and the search for the village was also something that I write about in there, but it's the journey to seek out and find both of those that became the essence of this book. And I always like to share this one quote that I'll, I'll give you. Travel isn't always pretty. It isn't always comfortable. Sometimes it hurts. It even breaks your heart, but that's okay. The journey changes you. It should change you. It leaves marks on your memory on your consciousness, on your heart, and on your body. You take something with you, hopefully you leave something good behind. And that was by Anthony Bourdain. And that quote really captures the essence of this book. Oh, I love that. And I mm -hmm. I, I was a huge fan of Anthony Bourdain. He's actually one mm -hmm. of my, a big influence of mine. So, um, and I love that distinction uh, that you made between a mm -hmm. tourist and a traveler, because that's, that's exactly how I like to operate as well, to where when I'm yeah. traveling to a new place, I like to... You know, take me to the to the local diners. Exactly. Airbnb was such a big thing for me because it really added to the traveling experience, at least at least from my my own perspective of just staying in somebody else's house. But I mean, before COVID, I would I would actually stay with the host, actually get to know the host mm -hmm. and things like that. And it just added so much to the experience. And then I started, you know, solo yeah. traveling and making new friends in different places. And it's it's so powerful. It really is. Well. And it's interesting because for me, uh, like I've traveled to probably from a perception standpoint, one of the most dangerous parts of the world. For work, I went to the Middle East and uh, landed in Kuwait. And then I was going to travel throughout the Middle East for work. And I remember people saying, you know, you're making a big mistake because you're going to Kuwait. It's right next to Iraq. And this is when Iraq was going through major turmoil. And people said, it's very dangerous. You shouldn't go. You should not go. Well, I went and I explored and experienced and, you know, while I was working there. And I came back and people were like, okay, so, oh my gosh, what was it like? How dangerous was it? And I turned to them and I said, you will not believe how dangerous that place is. And they're like, really, what was it like? What was dangerous? And I said, I tried to cross the road and it was so difficult. And they look <laughs> at me and they're like, what do you mean? And I said, well, there's no road safety. It's dangerous. 
And they're like, yeah, but what about the terrorism? What about the bombs and kidnappings? I was like, I don't know. I mean, it was safer for me to walk around midnight in Bahrain than it is for me to walk around in downtown Vancouver at midnight. And they looked at me weird. But I will share with you, Eric, that there is something extremely dangerous I encountered in the Middle East. Yeah. What I encountered was I, I finished speaking at a conference on a Thursday. I'm leaving on a Saturday. And this wonderful young woman, Fatima, just, oh, what an amazing dynamo she is. She says, I'm going to pick you up on Friday morning and take you around Bahrain to just show you around. So she arrived Friday morning and I got to the car and she just said, actually, Sam, the plans have changed. I'm like, oh, Fatima, don't worry. I mean, if you have to go do your stuff, I'll, I'll go do my stuff. She goes, no, no, no. My mom says I have to bring you home for lunch. The dangerous part <laughs> is sitting across from a Bahraini mother who's cooked an entire meal and she's got an empty plate in front of you and a spoon and a smile. She is not going to stop and be <laughs> relentless until she knows you cannot eat another bite. That's dangerous. <laughs> oh, so dangerous. <laughs> I know. I know. But that's about as dangerous as it got for any of my travels in the Middle East. <laughs> no, I love that story, though. And just that overall sense of hospitality that you experience yeah. in you know, different parts of the country, that community, it's... It's so inspiring, and I don't know. It's it's those bonds and those connections that truly just make us human when you when you boil it all down. So, I, now I, I love hearing stories like that. It's very inspirational. Now, do you have any upcoming events or exciting things currently in the works for all the different things that you do? All those twelve projects you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm carrying on with the teaching and uh, the speaking. I mean, I do about thirty thirty five speaking opportunities per year. And it varies from educational institutions to companies and organizations. And, you know, th those are things I really enjoy because I get to share. But equally, it's about contemplating and uh, maybe coming up with uh, another book. Blogging is something that I've got about 180 blog posts already. But all of them are just these life experiences and things that are accessible to anybody. Anybody can tap into my website. But the idea is just... You know, keeping my mind open to opportunities and with either individuals or just as things emerge and looking at it, if they line up with those five things that I'm not willing to compromise. So I'm just on a journey. It's not about I have to get to a certain place or a destination. It's just I really am embracing and really enjoying the journey that I'm on. No, oh, I love that. I. Yeah, I, I think that's a great way to live, honestly, is just to not really set expectations, just kind of be open to experiences and do what you love doing, kind of set those five core um, mm -hmm. elements and just live by that and say, okay, does this fit within my criteria? You know, does this give me some satisfaction or fulfillment? All right, you know, I'll see where this goes. Yeah. So. No, that's a, that's a great way to do it. Now, is there anything I forgot to ask about that you wanted to touch on before we get into plugins? Yeah, no, just uh, what I want to share is just this one thought and idea, because it's something that I hold with me and it's very important. And again, it goes back to that first TEDx speech I did about discover the extraordinary and the ordinary. And I'll, and I'll share this with you is I carry puzzle pieces with me and I give puzzle pieces away to people. And if the way you think about this, and it goes back to that transformation transaction piece. If I give you a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, there's not much you can do with one piece. It's ordinary. Mm -hmm. But that's what people feel like. They feel like that single piece of a jigsaw puzzle. They don't know where they fit in. They don't know what the bigger picture is. But I tell them, I'm going to transform this right before your eyes and make it extraordinary magically. And they look at me perplexed and they're like, okay. I said, because you're focused on the single piece. And I carry with me a satchel of puzzle pieces and I say, but realize that if I give you a single piece of a jigsaw puzzle, do you realize my puzzle will never be complete without you? Do you realize how important you are to me now? And I can physically see the transformation on their face. I've had people tell me that it's taped to their mirrors and every morning they wake up, it reminds them someone told them they mattered. It's traveled around in backpacks, it's in wallets, it's in curio boxes. I just want to share with your audience that you are a part of someone's puzzle. You are a critical component to other people. So never feel like you are just that single piece. And it's just a nice little reminder for everybody. And I just like to 
end on that by saying my signature tagline is everyone's life is an autobiography. Make yours worth reading. You're a living story, a story that's needed to be shared. So please go out there and share who you are. No, I love that. I, I love that tagline. I'm so glad you ended on that note because I had that in my notes and I was figuring out where, where to put it and stuff. So I'm really glad you <laughs> inserted yeah. that there. <laughs> nice. Perfect. Now, where can people find more information about Ignite the Dream Coaching or anything else you want to plug? Yeah. So go to my website and that's www.sam-thiara.com. And that's where you'll find my book and my blog posts, my speaking opportunities, etc. I'm also on LinkedIn and Instagram and Twitter. So you can easily find me there as well. And you know, I'm happy to have people just, you know, tap into the quotes that I have and, you know, the sayings and hopefully maybe see if there's something I can do to help. Yeah, definitely. And I'll definitely make sure to add all those to the show notes. And uh, yeah, your your resources definitely provide a lot for uh, people to look at and do. So um, <laughs> I'm sure that'll keep them busy for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Once again, you know, thank you so much for taking the time for this. I think the, the work that you're doing with Ignite the Dream Coaching is incredibly important and you're making a difference in a lot of lives. And with a resume like earning the Governor General's Canadian Sovereign's Medal for Volunteers for Leadership and Community Involvement, in addition to the Queen Elizabeth II Diamond Jubilee Medal, clearly I'm not the only one who's recognizing the kind of impact you're making. So yeah. I, th I think your story is inspiring, and I wish you nothing but the best in all of your future endeavors. Uh, thank you, Eric, and all the best to you as well in the fact that you're giving so many people a voice to share and you know, if somebody picks something up, that's a nugget that just supports and helps them. I mean, you're doing a huge service as well. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm trying. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm doing my best to do that. And it's, yeah, it's been very fulfilling on, on both ends. So it's, uh, it's been quite the journey. Um, so it's, <laughs> yeah, perfect. Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you again so much for this. This is a lot of fun. Uh, thank you very much and all the best. All right. Yep. Take care. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. A link to Sam's website, along with other resources, can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. Or you can find Juxtaposed Journeys on Podmatch and request an interview that way, which quite a few people have been taking advantage of. Episode slots have been booked for the remainder of 2021, so definitely don't wait to add your name to the list. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Final mixing and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.